Good morning, everybody. How's it going today? All right, good to see you. Man, I had a good time making that video this week. Judah and I were out there doing all the stunts. We do our own stunts here at Joy Church, in case you were wondering. Um, no, the most exciting thing I do is skip the second donut. That's basically <clears throat> as extreme as it gets for me. Hey, hopefully you had a, a great 2017. If not, hey, that's cool. It's the last day, so... Moving on. No, I'm just kidding. We had a great 2017 at Joy Church, and man, just so exciting. All the things God is doing at Joy Church and doing in our lives. Come on, let's just thank the Lord for a great year. What an awesome time. How many of you were here? How many of you were here at the very beginning of 2017? Raise your hand. You were here. Awesome. You're awesome. How many of you, you're here, you came in 2017? Yeah, that's awesome. And how many of you, you started coming to here in 2018? How many of you were here for that? Let's just see who's listening. All right. Yeah, great. <laughs> We're excited to see all the great things God's going to do in 2018. Excited to have a great year. Bethany and I have wild, exciting party plans tonight. Probably rent a movie and go to bed early. So <laughs> it's about as exciting as it gets. When you have three kids, you just survive. That's what, you, what life is about. You survive. If you can get to the end of the day and at least two of your three children are alive, right? You're good. Okay. <laughs> that was, I thought that was funny. I don't know. I'm having a good time today. Well, uh, I'm excited to share a, a message with you today called Life Without Limits. Life Without Limits. And I know all the time management people are freaked out like, oh my God, no, you got to have limits. You got to have a budget. You got to, no, we're, that's, I understand. Life Without Limits, living a life that doesn't have any limits towards God. A life that is open to the moving of God. I don't know how you see yourself or think about your life, but your life is an absolute gift and every single one of us is absolutely loaded to the gills with potential, with purpose, with destiny, with gifting, with something to offer the world. You have intrinsic worth and value. You're not just time plus slime plus chance. You are the handiwork, the masterpiece, the Bible says, of God. You were created on, on purpose, right, and for purpose. God has infused you with purpose. And there's something about your life that, that when it, it, it lines up and it's given into the purposes of God, that it shines in the world and you can make a tremendous difference. And I believe for some of you, 2018 is going to be the year where we get to experience, the rest of us, the world around you gets to experience who God made you to be. And that's an exciting thing, really exciting thing. And so I want to share this, this word with you today. I want to start in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, and share with you what I find to be one of Jesus' more provocative poignant statements. Uh, and if you've been in church for a long time, you've heard this and you've you probably glossed it over and just kind of read by and like, you know, you've heard it before. But I want you to look at this with fresh eyes. Matthew is one of Jesus' disciples. He's one of his comrades, his, his 12. And uh, Matthew records this statement. It says in verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, if you want to be my homeboy, right? You want to be one of my guys, you must give up People don't say homeboy anymore, do they? No. Dated myself. If you want to be part of my posse, is that? No? Squad goals. Okay, thanks. Man, just trying to be relevant here for the young people. All right. He says, if you want to be part of my squad, is that okay? If you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Now, I know you've probably heard this before. I've heard it many times. Read through, you know, give up your life. Yeah, give your life. And I think we tend to kind of take this generic Christianese 
That means I listen to more contemporary Christian music. You know, following Jesus means I go to church, you know, three times a month and I, no, that's, that's not what's being spoken here. Don't gloss it over. Don't just read over it. Jesus is saying this. He's saying everything you think is wrong. You're like, what? Yeah, Jesus is saying the way that you are wired, even biologically, you're wired to guard your life, right? You, 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 your mind always is trying to protect itself, to protect your body, to protect your own interests. And basically we are all pretty selfish and we think about ourselves first, right? Even biologically, you're wired this way to hang on to your life. It's like when you're driving down the road and you're not paying attention. You're just kind of like, you know, listening to one of my new CDs or something in the car and you're just jamming out, you know, just uncontrollably taken over by the awesomeness of the music. You're driving and, and all of a sudden, you know, your brain, your eyes kind of out of nowhere, it catches red lights in front of you and then you just jam on the brakes and come to a screeching halt. I once made my mom cuss this way. <laughs> which was awesome. <laughs> She's like, no, I said, dang it. No, you didn't. <laughs> What's happening in this moment? You're hanging on to your life. Your brain is saying, you're not paying attention, but, uh, but your eyes, your optic nerves have caught these red lights in front of you and, and, and your body just, uh, it reacts. Why? Because we're wired to hang on to our life. It's a self-preservation instinct, but it doesn't just happen in our biological self-preservation of our natural state. It's also spiritually, emotionally, relationally, we are wired the natural way. The way that you and I think is to guard our own interests, to hang on to our life. And Jesus says, look, if you want to be one of my guys, one of my people, if you want to really follow me, if you want to really understand what it means to live a Jesus life, you got to go against the flow, go against the natural way. What you think is right, what you think is the right way, and you have to think a different way. You have to be willing to lay your life down. You have to be willing to lose your life, not just for anything, not like the crazy people in the video who are jumping out of perfectly good airplanes. You know, it's meant to stay in the sky. You're not supposed to go out of it. Or people who throw their life away jumping off of bridges. My friends, when I was young, they would, they would always be like, hey, do you want to jump off bridges? No. Someone put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to make this bridge so we could get across the water that you want to jump into. So if you want to jump into an unknown depth of water, go for it, but not me. Uh, some of you are like, I like jumping off bridges. Cool. Um, <laughs> Jesus says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you lose it, not just for any sake, but for my sake. In other words, there's a pursuit of life. There's, a, there's something that is worth giving your life to. Most people are living their life just not to die. That's not what Jesus, and, or, they, and, and, or they're just living their life to die. Jesus is not talking about that. He's saying, find the right target and give everything for it. Look at the thing that you would lay everything down for. What are you willing to die for? That's what you should live for. And, and it's, we shouldn't just be willing to die for anything. Jesus says, I am the sake. I am the cause. If you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what he's saying here when he says you'll save your life is not that you will just preserve it, but that the quality of your life, what it, what it becomes, the impact that it makes, the fulfillment factor goes way up, right? That if you will give your life away counterintuitively to the way you are naturally hardwired to think for the right cause, you will actually find fulfillment. And so Jesus is, this is why I say this is a provocative statement because this statement that he's making is turning the natural order upside down because normal is if I, if I get more, then I have more, right? If I buy my kids 20 nuggets at Burger King, $1.50 for 10, just saying, you know, it's a lot of nuggets. So 
You know, if I buy my kids 20 nuggets and, you know, Evie gets eight and Jack gets six and Penny gets four and I have the rest, you know, and if I take one of theirs, I have more. I mean, we, we get this, right? We understand. The dad thing is always how many nuggets can you steal from your kids? Also, in addition to yours, right, dads? That's how it goes. Are you going to eat that? I remember that's the statement I always made. Are you, you going to eat that? Yes, dad, I'm going to eat it. Get your hands off my whopper, right? Off my nuggets. Get more, have more. If I, if I give more away, then I have less. This is the natural sort of thing. And Jesus is opening our eyes and he's opening his disciples' eyes. He's saying, listen to this statement. If you will give your life for the right cause, if you will lay it down for the right cause, for my sake, you won't have less, you'll have more. You won't have more of your life, but your life will be fulfilled. There's something different. Let's, let's look at this. I'll illustrate it in a different way. I'll tell you a quick story. There was a, a man named Unamuno. It's hard to say. He was a Spanish philosopher. And he talked about a Roman aqueduct at Segovia, which is his native, in his native land of Spain. It was built in 109 AD. Somebody say, that's old. For 1,800 years, this aqueduct carried cool water from the mountains to this hot and thirsty city. Nearly 60 generations of people drank from its flow. But then came another generation, a recent one, and they said, this aqueduct is so great a marvel that we should preserve it for our children as a museum piece. We shall relieve it of its centuries-long labor. And so they did. They laid modern pipes. They gave these ancient bricks and mortar their rest, a reverent rest, and the aqueduct then began to fall apart. The sun beating on the dry mortar caused it to crumble. The bricks and stones sagged and threatened to fall. What ages of service could not destroy, idleness disintegrated. And this is so sad because it's a picture of our life, isn't it? That we think, well, I'm going to live a balanced life. I need to preserve my life. I need to be at rest. I need to to set limits in my life. I need to guard myself because if I give more, then I have less. If I have more, then I have more. We, We think this way but we're missing some things that Jesus understands that you were created to give, to serve, to let water flow through you. You were created for purpose. And if you don't lay your life down, if you don't give your life to the right place, to the right cause for the right reason, you will disintegrate just like this aqueduct that disintegrated in Spain because we were meant to give our life. We were made to to live our life giving and serving. And so it's so sad to me when we have these limits in our life. I remember Bethany and I were in Northern Ireland in the city of Belfast, and we had an opportunity to go there, and, and some friends were hosting us, and it's a beautiful city. It was an incredible trip. They, they, they taught us how to speak like a Northern Irish person. Hi, Nye, Brian, Kyle. I don't know. That's the best I can do. Anyways, we're there in Belfast, and our friend was attending a, a university called Queen's College Belfast, and it's this beautiful, old building, all these bricks and towering, uh, you know, structures. And, and you walk in and it's this beautiful courtyard, really large. And uh, it's the kind of building you walk into and you immediately feel smarter. You're not. That's not how education works. But you feel smarter, right? So I remember walking in the doors and immediately, <laughs> about like a gift, you know, the plastic pipe from the gift shop. <laughs> I say, here I am, you know, chap. Anyways, we walk into this beautiful place and it's just gorgeous. And we're like, this is amazing. Could you imagine getting to go to school here? And they have these beautiful green, emerald green lawns, these beautiful expanses of grass in, in the midst of all these amazing old buildings. 
And all around this grass, it was so sad, all around this grass, all these signs, every, you know, six feet, eight feet with little, little barriers designed to keep you off, it says, keep off the grass. Keep off the grass. Stay off. Don't come in here. And we were like, oh, it's so sad because what would you rather do on a nice sunny Irish day, which happens twice a year, you know, then go sit on the grass and, and study and throw a Frisbee and have a picnic and get your fish and chips, you know, whatever you're going to do, get your old books and your smoking jacket and your pipe, you know, your jacket with the elbow pads and, and go sit on the grass. But yet all this beautiful grass, here's all these people around and somebody has obviously labored to, to make this grass beautiful. It's green. It's awesome. And all you want to do is just get on it. And, and yet it's all off limits. Every little blade of grass was completely walled off. And you know, it was so sad because I realized that's how our lives are sometimes. Sometimes. Is that God has invested something inside of each and every one of us. Somebody has put blood, sweat, and tears into making you awesome. And yet, oftentimes we have these keep off the grass signs in parts of our life, don't we? There's these areas where it's like, God, you can, you're not allowed to come in here. God, you can have Sunday mornings, but I'm not going to be part of a joy group. That's too much. Keep off the grass. Lord, I'll throw 20 bucks in the offering from time to time, but tithing, keep off the grass. Lord, yeah, I'll raise my own kids and I'll help them go to church, but you want me to take in a foster kid? Keep off the grass. And we have all these limits in our life and we say, God, this far, no farther. We say to other people, this far, no farther. And Jesus sits back and says, you're drying up. You're disintegrating because that's not how you were made to live. You're made to get those limits out of your life and open up and say, you know what? I was formed with purpose. God designed me to get to be a gift as a seed to be planted into this planet. And, and God wants us to get rid of these off-limit signs in our life. Not be like that, keep off the grass sign in Ireland. And I want you to think about that today. What are the areas in your life? What are the areas that, that you can think right now, this door is shut. There's a keep off the grass sign. I, I, I've said, God, you can come this far, no farther. Maybe the Lord has been knocking on the door of your heart saying, hey, I want you to take a step of faith and I want you to begin to serve in a department at, at church, or I want you to begin to reach out to your coworkers or whatever it is. But you've said, no, this is off limits. I'm too introverted. I'm too extroverted. I don't have time. That would be too much money. I'm too scared. My wife won't go for this. My husband won't go for this. Whatever it is, but you've said, here's a sign. Keep off the grass. And God is saying, get that sign. Pull it up and let somebody have a picnic on your, on your life. Come on. How is he calling us to lay our life down? So what is that? What does it look like to live a life without limits? Let me give you three things on how we can do this and put this into practice today. And I believe the Lord is going to keep speaking to you today. Number one, the first thing we can do to begin to live a life without limits, this is an easy one, okay? It's simple. You just have to be like Jesus. I mean, it's easy. It's simple. Lead, lead the way. Yeah, yeah, lead the way. No, I'm just a professional talker. That's all I do. I just do as I say, not as I do. No, <laughs> just kidding. Be like Jesus. I mean, three words, easy to understand. How many of you know? Challenge of a lifetime. People say, well, just be like Jesus. What does that mean? Well, Jesus had this amazing thing that he did. The reason he's the central figure of, of history is because he lived counterculture and counter, uh, counter natural against the flow of the way the world worked. Jesus put other people first and Jesus laid his life down when other people were picking their life 
up. It says in Philippians 2, chapter 3, this is a letter from Paul the Apostle to the church in Philippi in Greece. And, and Paul gives us this window into the character of Jesus that we are to emulate. He says in Philippians chapter 2, and this, was an, this is an, actually one of the most ancient parts of, of the New Testament church. This passage right here was actually even a song or, or a poem that Christians would recite because they were encouraging each other to be like Jesus. And this is how Jesus was. And this is what Paul tells us in verse 3. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. I want you to hold that phrase in your mind for a few moments. Instead, it says he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When, some, when I say be like Jesus, when we look at Philippians 2, it begins to give us a window and insight. What was Jesus like? And I think this phrase in verse 6 pretty much sums it up. Though he was God. Let's take everything we know about God. God has all the power. God has all the knowledge. God has all the wealth. God has all the angels. God has every channel, every ESPN. He can watch every bowl game. And he has like mental DVR. I mean, he's got it all. It's amazing. God has everything. Jesus had everything. He had the most, all the wealth, all the power, everything. He has it all. And it says, though he was God, what did he do? Did he hold on to his life? No, it says he did not think of that equality, didn't think of that status, didn't think of that position as something to hold on to. Jesus is the ultimate demonstration of somebody who had it all and was willing to let it go for something even greater than having it all. Though he was God, there was purpose in him letting go. He gave away his life. Why? To seek and save that which was lost, which is you and I. Men and women, the, the, us as the creation, the, the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, that we were lost in the fall. Jesus gave up everything. He laid down his life to save us. That's what it means to be like Jesus. That even when you have something, to be willing to let it go, even when you feel like you've arrived to let it go in pursuit of a higher good. What are you laying your life down for? That kind of a lifestyle, when I say be like Jesus, living a life without limits, it turns the world upside down. It makes a tremendous impact in the world because when you will lay your life down in the middle of a bunch of people who are seeking to lift their life up, people take notice. In a world where everybody is running the rat race, which I don't know why you want to rent, win a race with a bunch of rats. In a world in which people are climbing the corporate ladder and stepping on each other's fingers and faces and trying to get ahead and get, you know, on top of someone else and all this kind of stuff, it's exhausting, isn't it? What if you said, hey, the ladder's all yours. Why don't you go first and I'll help you get up and then we'll be at the top together, Right? Instead, that, you see what I'm saying? When you will say, you know what? I'm going to be more like Jesus and I'm going to put other people first and I'm going to lay my life down and lose my life to serve other people and, and be like that aqueduct that carries water. And I'm going to get rid of the keep off the grass signs in my life towards God and towards other people. 
It makes a tremendous difference in the world. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, it cannot be denied that Jesus Christ is the central figure of history that we literally divide time by his life. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, A.D., I used to think it meant after the death of Jesus. That's not what it means. It's Latin, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. A.D., B.C. and A.D., we divide time, we divide history by the example of Jesus. You want to make a difference in the world around you? Take, emulate his example. Even if you're like, ah, I'm not going to be a Christian. I'm just here to, I'm kicking the tires. I thought I was going to a movie today. Even if you took nothing else out of this message today, I would hope you put your faith and trust in Christ. But if that's not where you're at, even if you were to say, I'm going to try to be more like Jesus and lay my life down and serve other people, you would make a difference in the world. Living a life without limits. Number two, and this one right here is worth the ticket price, which I know is free, but hey, it's still worth it. Number two, we need to make the move from spiritual consumer to spiritual contributor. Spiritual consumer to spiritual contributor. I love America. This is my country. Chuck Norris, Bald Eagles, Air Force, Kung Fu. I mean, this is America, right? America. I don't know how our hero, Chuck Norris, I mean, we could send Chuck Norris out to fight our battles and we'd win everyone, right? I love America, but here's the thing. We have mastered the art of consumption. We are consumers. We are, we are at core level now, yelpers. People yelp churches. Well, I went to Joy and the worship was, you know, an eight out of 10, but the message was a four out of 10. And you know, as it went over here and the nursery was like this and that, you know, that the church lady said something to me and the coffee wasn't the kind I liked. And we're consumers. We, 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 we go from place to place. We're consumers of media. We're consumers of entertainment. We've, we have a thing called binge watching. Like we made up that phrase, you know, and thank God for it, you know. <laughs> we consume at the highest level. We're consumers and yet we can apply that kind of logic and thinking of being Americans, being consumers to our spirituality, but it's wrong. We're not called to be as followers of Jesus, consumers of spiritual goods, but rather contributors of spiritual good. We are called to embrace the way of the cross, to lay our lives down and say, I am joining, I am laying my life energy and all that I am into a higher purpose. I wanna achieve and see the work of God come to pass through my life. Don't be a spiritual consumer, be a spiritual contributor. Let me just say this. If you come to Joy Church because you like something that this group of people does better than some other church here, you're here for the wrong reason. And I'm not saying I want you to leave. I don't, I want you to stay. But I don't want you to stay as a consumer. I want you to become a contributor because Jesus did not call us to start a church of consumers. He called us to start a church of disciples. A church of people that would say, I'm not here for what I can get. I'm here to receive from God and be transformed and then see this city become a little bit more like heaven than it was when we showed up. Come on. We don't just put on a Sunday. We don't put on services. We don't put on shows. I'm not a trained monkey up here. I might look like one, but I'm not. We don't do this for fun. We don't show up early and set stuff up just because, ah, there's nothing better to do on a Sunday. There are actual NFL football games on right now. We do this because God said, go here, set up some stuff so people can come find hope and life. We are here so we can send millions of dollars to the third world to build churches and help people. Come on, we're here to be in this city to see, to see orphans get adopted into families that are gonna love them. We're here to see people get delivered from drug addiction. We are here to see God's kingdom show up in this city, not just to receive, but to give. 
Well, I just came to get blessed today, Pastor. That's fine. Eat some donuts. Drink some coffee. And God bless you. But if you want to be part of this family, it's about being a spiritual contributor. All the church wants is my money. No, that's totally wrong. Do you know that? The church, God wants way more than your money. God wants everything. Man, I tell you what, if like just tithing and giving a few bucks in the offering from time to time was all God wanted, this would be the easiest thing, right? Hey, I'll just pay my bill. You know, it's like pay the gym bill, pay the electricity, pay God, you know. We good? Yeah, you paid up. Okay, great. That'd be easy. Man, with God, it's like in for a penny, in for a pound, right? Anybody that's followed Jesus for a while, you're like, hey, sure, God, you can come in this room, and all of a sudden, he's remodeling. I let him in my door, and now he's knocking walls out, you know? No, God, I liked my TV, right? No, 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 God, I want, no, 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 right? Don't put your feet on my carpet. You know, he's, God comes in, and all of a sudden, he's like, well, this is my house. No, 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 it's my house. Keep off the grass. Keep out of the, right? And we, but here's the thing, the secret. When you follow Jesus and you give him access to everything and you, you go in for a penny and you end up in for a pound, what you find is that there's life, there's fulfillment, there's hope, that what you thought in your selfish immaturity was your life that you were holding on to, thinking if I give it away, I lose it all. God was saying, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. When you turned it over to him, you, you come alive and you realize who you were made to be. Come on, I'm preaching good. Don't shout me down today. See, the church does not exist for you. The church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. We exist for the world. We don't just go to church. We are the church. Don't say, I I go to Joy Church. No, I am Joy Church. I am. Yeah, you go. I understand that. But we don't even have a building. We go to a movie theater, right? (laughs) So if we we can't, as a church, understand how this works, we go to Gerlinger Hall as a UO campus, right? We just go to some places. But we are the church. We are the church, and we exist for the world. So let me just drop this question in your spirit and give you a happy new year. Am I a consumer or a contributor? And allow the Lord to to let that question work through your life. Am I a consumer or am I a contributor? Am I taking steps on this path of following Jesus? Or am I just trying to hang out on the fringe and listen to, you know, and kind of get a contact high from other people who are actually following Jesus? Am I a consumer or am I a contributor? I invite you to get down that rabbit hole. It's going to be a fun adventure, Alice. It's going to be great. <clears throat> am I a consumer or am I a contributor? Jesus in John 4, 31, he says, it says, meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus says, I, I have a kind of food you don't know anything about. <clears throat> and they're probably like, Cheetos? <laughs> Funyuns? No. Verse 33, did you bring him some food? It says, did, you bring him some, did someone bring him food while we were gone? They asked each other. In verse 34, Jesus explained. He says, hey guys, listen, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. See, this is, Jesus had tapped into this, this amazingly fulfilling way of life, which is that he was fulfilled by what he contributed, not what he consumed. How beautiful is that? That if you will give your life to Jesus, you will literally find fulfillment in giving out, not bringing in. 
Do you realize that when you were at that stage of life, when you, when you were fulfilled by what you give, you literally cannot be stopped. Nobody can take away your joy. Nobody can take away your peace because it's not about what you get. It's about what you give. You know, for me, I'm still working on my attitude big time because I'm not, not like Jesus the way I want to be. What a privilege it is to give my life to see people's lives transform. I mean, what a privilege when we connect with this mentality that Jesus had of a spiritual contributor, that's where we get amazingly fulfilled. It's incredible. Last, and we'll go eat something good and watch some college football bowl games. Praise Jesus. All right. <clears throat> How do I live a life without limits? We need to use our gifts to be a gift. Romans chapter 12, verse 6 says, In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy... Speak out with as much faith as God has given you. You know what this is saying? It's saying if God has given you this gift to prophesy, to basically share the word of God, to encourage people, kind of like what Bethany did today when she came up and gave a word, you might have such a tiny little amount of faith that for you to prophesy is like, God loves you. And you know what God is saying through, through Paul here in the book of Romans? He's saying, if that's all you have and you do that, good, good on you, good job as much faith as you have. You might only have a tiny bit, but if that's all you have, do it. Um, verse seven, if your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Let me just, let's, let's do some, something here. Let's, let's adjust our vocabulary as a church. I hear people say things like, well, Pastor Jake, you know, you get up and preach in front of people. I could never do that. I don't have any gifts. Wrong. Every one of us, every single one of us is absolutely loaded to the gills with the gifting of God, that God has placed a treasure on the inside of each and every one of us. And it might be hidden by some insecurity. It might be hidden by some sin. It might be hidden by fear, whatever that may be. But the Holy Spirit sees it. And our mission together is not to ever say, you know, to never say, I don't have a gift. That's wrong. That's contrary to scripture. Why would we say that? But to say, I'm either figuring out my gift or I'm building faith to use my gift, but I have a gift. Maybe you're the kind of person whose gift is to encourage others. That's not my gift. If you hang out with me during the week, people are like, what's wrong with you? You need therapy. Yeah, I know. I know. You know, right, John? Yes, it's true, you know. <laughs> But man, maybe you're the kind of person that people get around you and they, you lift their spirits. That, if that's your gift, don't say, oh, I don't have a gift because I don't sing like Judah. I don't have a gift because I don't preach like this person. I don't have a gift. You do have a gift. Use it, explore it, turn it loose on the world. We need all the gifts. Come on. <clears throat> the great violinist, Niccolo Paganini, willed his marvelous violin to the city of Genoa, Italy, where he was born, city of his birth. But he had a condition upon this gift that the instrument would never be played upon. This was a very unfortunate condition. For it is a peculiarity of wood that as long as it is used and handled, it shows little wear. But as soon as it is discarded, it begins to decay. The exquisite mellow-toned violin has now become worm-eaten in its beautiful case. Valueless except as a relic. The moldering instrument is a reminder that a life withdrawn from all service to others loses its meaning. You have a gift. It's not just irresponsible to not use your gift. It's wrong. It's a sin. 
because you're wasting a treasure and you're allowing something so beautiful that could serve people. Like this beautiful violin is now sitting on a shelf somewhere, basically good for firewood now. And how many people allow themselves to calcify in their selfish indifference? You don't have to be 80 or 90 years old to calcify and be, and be unuseful. You could be 20, you could be 15. It's about your heart and, and vice versa. You might be 80 years old, but if you will say, God, I'm gonna let me be soft and I'm gonna let the, my, the violin, my gift, I'm gonna let people put their hands on it. And I'm gonna get the keep off the grass signs away and let people use me and serve and begin to lay my life down in whatever way I can use my gift. You can make a difference. You can contribute something. Don't let your gift sit on a shelf and rot away because God put that in you and it has so much potential, so much good. Life without limits, life without limits. What would it look like if we said, God, I'm all in, I'm open, I'm a yes, whatever you wanna do with my life. What does that look like? I remember being in Cambodia one time and, and with our friends over there and we took a tour on the Mekong River and we saw this group of people that were there that were just really poor and they were so poor that they couldn't even afford to live on land. So they lived on these boathouses on the, on the water. And I, we left there and I was just impacted deeply by their poverty. And I remember sitting in the airport in Seoul, Korea. We had a 12-hour layover, which is demonic. Um, and we were there and I was just like, God, why do they have so little and I have so much? And, and I'm like, Lord, I, I felt this impulse, like I wanna give everything I have away. And I really distinctly felt the Lord kind of impress upon me and say, Jake, I don't want you to have empty hands like those people. Because, you know, God doesn't, if, if somebody's poor, the answer isn't that you should also be poor. The answer is that they would have more and you would have more, right? How many of you think that God doesn't want anybody to live in poverty? So being like, well, I'll be in poor because you're poor, that doesn't do anything for anyone. Poor people need richer people to help them, Right? I'm just common sense, okay? I mean, you don't have to agree with me, but um, I felt the Lord speak to me, Jake, I don't want you to have empty hands. I want you to have open hands. Because I'm thinking, God, you know, I, I'm feeling guilty. Like I have too much and I should, and I should not have it. And, and what I felt the Lord say is, no, I want to use your blessing. I want to use what you do have to help these people and other people. Just keep your hands open, what does it look, to live, look like to live a life without limits? It doesn't mean that you don't have anything. It means that you don't have anything like this, that everything you have is like this. God, I'm just open. Lord, I might have sin and fear and insecurity and brokenness and I'm working through stuff and I'm in therapy and I need to be in therapy, whatever. But my hands are open that God, whatever you would do with my life, you could just use me to be a blessing. That I'm not a dried up, rotted out aqueduct that doesn't carry water anymore because I wanted to preserve myself. For what? So you could die a little bit nicer looking? I'm with Mark Lowry. He says, I want to die young, make a pretty corpse, right? Eat the bacon, eat the butter, serve people, love people, get some laugh lines and wrinkles and look terrible when you die, but your life was lived out. Come on. You lived your life. You didn't, you didn't live your life not just not to die sooner. You lived your life. You gave it. You had open hands. Come on, what could God do with people who said... God, my life is, is, everything's on limits to you, God. I, I don't have any more keep off the grass signs, keep out of my money, keep out of my time, keep out of my family, keep out of my heart. But God, I was just all in open hands.
open-handed. Today, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to some people and saying 2018 is going to be a year where you begin to take off some of those signs and get rid of some of those barriers and some of those boundaries and begin to step forward into what God has called you to be, which is amazingly fulfilling and incredible. It's not easy, but it's amazing to be like Jesus, to make, make the move from spiritual consumer to spiritual contributor and to use your gift to be a gift.